Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. DLF family, a podcast that's James the Brain. Moonlight drowns out all the brightest stars. That's Tommy Sam Lane. Why didn't the Eagles take Frodo to Mount Doom to just dump the ring in the volcano? I am John Gandalf Hogue, and this is a super flex, super show, one ring to rule them all, apparently, because, uh, this ended up with a the ring. Oh my god! You just forgot. <laughs> Not the ring. Lord of the Rings. Good Lord of Lord. the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the ring would be way worse. Yeah, I could crawl like, out of cre- your uh, computer chick. screen. <laughs> that creepy chick climbing out of Stumpy Stumpy's screen. <laughs> Stumpy running away. Yep. That's actually that's pretty funny to me. <laughs> that's a that's a funny image. <laughs> um. But yeah, Lord of the Rings. All right, my bad. Uh, Simply because supposedly I showed up late to record this podcast, which to you, the listener, means absolutely nothing. This is coming out at the exact same time on the exact same day as it normally would. But uh, for those of us recording uh, in real time, and uh, I've I, I try and shy away from explaining the time difference between recording and actually listening to a podcast it gets pretty it gets pretty surreal but yeah apparently i showed up late but my opinion is just like the wizard i i'm never late i'm never early i'm always on time i always show up right when i'm supposed to and this podcast always starts right when it's supposed to when i start it because i am boys the straw that stirs the drink. I think you're the roofie in the drink that is being <laughs> stirred by his straw. <laughs> I'll take that too, I think. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll see if it works. We'll see if, <laughs> if I'm able to control you guys' thoughts a little bit here um, because we've got some training camp battles that we want to talk about today. So NFL training camp starting all around the NFL uh, later this week. And uh, as we speak, I believe it's the the Denver Broncos and the New Orleans Saints are already in camp, um, despite the fact that the Saints have nothing to do with the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame game. Uh, it's actually going to be, be between the Broncos and the Falcons. Uh, the Falcons, though, are not yet in camp. Um, very, uh, very cocky of them. Um, two Broncos fans here uh, who uh, who feel like you might need a little bit more practice than uh, than what you think, uh, Matthew Frozen Water. But um, anyway, so we're going to talk about the position battles all around the NFL just in time for the training camps to open up 
and for these competitions to get underway. Um, we've got a few uh, a few of the the bigger battles around the league that I think that we need to address. Uh, we're probably going to miss some as well. I mean, we're kind of limited on the the amount of time that we can that we can spend on this, but um, we're going to get to as many of them as we can. So let's jump right in, boys, and talk about who's who's competing, who's going to win, what it means for fantasy purposes, and let's start with you, Stomp. Give us a training camp battle. So I think, uh, speaking of us being Broncos fans, I think the one that interests interests you and I the most in terms of our fandom is uh, Royce Freeman versus Philip Lindsay. Lindsay obviously having uh, wrist surgery in the offseason, missing the entirety of offseason training, uh, mini camps, uh, OTAs, etc. Um, seems to be fully healthy entering training camp. Had a fantastic season last season as an undrafted free agent. Uh, Freeman, not so much. Had some injuries last season. He didn't look terrible. He didn't look great. Lindsay looked phenomenal, and he was ultra-efficient last season. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see what happens with a new coaching regime, a zone gap scheme or, or zone uh, running scheme rather than a uh, um, gap scheme, um, which Freeman should excel in a little bit more than Philip Lindsay. Not to say that Lindsay won't excel. It's just that Freeman – Freeman's skill set, it, it leans more toward that zone scheme, which uh, Scandarello will bring over from uh, Kyle Shanahan. And the fact that, and yes, I know this is a trope at this point, but Philip Lindsay is a small guy. I get it. He he held up pretty well last year, saying that um, wrist injury, but he's still very small. I mean... For a running back, he's 5'8", under 200 pounds. It says 190 pounds on pro football reference. And you still you have to question whether his body would hold up to, to say, a bell cow roll, a 250-carry roll. And I don't expect the Broncos to use him as that bell cow. I think it's going to be a relatively even split and relatively even meaning like 60, 40 in favor of Philip Lindsay, Lindsay getting more passing down work as well. I expect Philip Lindsay to be a better fantasy asset because of the passing down work. I mean, he also had, I believe there was a 58 reception season, um, in college. Uh, so he, he's, He's prolific catching the ball, but I expect uh, Royce Freeman this year, especially with a new scheme, um, especially with the draft capital, to get a lot more looks this season. And and here's the other kicker here is the Broncos actually threw the ball a decent amount uh, last season. Um, let me look it up real quick. You're going to have to edit, John. Suck it. Sounded a little apologetic, I suppose. So the Broncos actually threw the ball 622 times, which was good for, I believe, top third in the league, which really, if you think about the build and having Case Keenum as your quarterback, you wouldn't expect that. But they threw the ball a lot. I don't expect that to happen this year. I expect them to be a lot more balanced, which means more running attempts, more, more short passing attempts this year with Joe Flacco at the helm. So that means more opportunities for those running backs. So 
I, and, and we talked about this on the daily blitz um, with Matt Williams, but I wouldn't be surprised to see both being very fantasy relevant. And honestly, I think both of their ceilings are uh, top 24. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything that you said. I think uh, I, I tell you what, I have not been shy to let people know that I don't think Freeman is a very talented running back. And and I stand by that. But <laughs> sometimes situation trumps talent. And I think the situation that he, he lands in, I think you highlighted Stompy a lot of the things that I would have too. The zone running scheme, I think, is going to help him more. The fact that Philip Lindsay doesn't look like he could, he doesn't have the frame right now to hold up to a workload um, that that would signify a, a bell cow type workload it means that there should be a timeshare here. And I think that's what it's going to be. Uh, I could see uh, Freeman playing a whole lot better this year than last year. Uh, I just think that the system and the type of, I could see the type of football that they would want to play here being more run heavy. Like you said, Vic Fangio being the head coach, I could see him relying on strong defensive play and ball control uh, being the, the key to success for this team. So I think that means more rushing attempts, which means Philip Lindsay very well could could still, you know, have have a lot of fantasy value. But I think Royce Freeman does as well. I, I, I agree that it's probably 60-40, maybe at best for Lindsay 65-35, uh, kind of a timeshare split because you're right, he's going to get the passing down work. I think that's a role that he excels in. But Royce Freeman is definitely going to be fantasy relevant. So it's going to be interesting to see how these backs are used and how they're utilized early. I think Philip Lindsay right now has to work back into getting healthy. It sounds like they're slowly going to acclimate him uh, kind of back into everything, but get him uh, up to 100% pretty quickly here, even though they're going to just move along with him um, coming back from that injury. So I think that's going to be key. He's going to have to learn this new uh, this new system that they're installing in the running game. And I think that's going to be important for him as well is to, to show out really well early because I think I think uh, you know you're, you're going to have to impress the new coaching staff there if you're going to want to get on the field early so um, that to me will be something that I'll be monitoring too John what's your take on the situation I absolutely agree with that part uh, so that was my big concern with Philip Lindsay is 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 he going to make it into training camp and being you know be available to impress this new coaching regime and it sounds like he will so um, I think that's a that's a big key to this. Um, I also think this is something that uh, that I also threw out on the Daily Blitz, um, courtesy of our friend Tom Burroughs. So I, I need to give him credit. He's the one who dug this up, um, which was it, uh, to me this was fascinating. But um, the uh, the Kyle Shanahan system, which is what Rich Gangarello is going to bring to Denver uh, over the last. Um, over the last three years has averaged no less than 30% of what they call 21 personnel, which is essentially two, two running backs, one tight end, um, that type of set. And in fact, last year, 2018, it was 42% of the time they had two backs on the field at the same time. And I'm not talking about fullbacks. I'm talking about Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay being on the same field at the same time. So it almost doesn't matter who actually wins the quote unquote running back one job, you know, it, it's, they're both going to get tons of opportunity. At least that's the way this looks. But I have to say guys, like, so last year, the, the, the local media here in Denver just swore up and down that it was going to be Royce Freeman wire to wire. They were saying that 
it was first it was you know Devonte booker is te- technically number one on the depth chart but ultimately royce freeman is going to win this job and then his camp goes on it's like well you know philip Lindsay's making a little noise he might even earn himself a, a little bit of third down you know passing downs type work as kind of a satellite back but i mean you know royce freeman is just going to be the better back and ultimately win the job and this just never materialized and not only that I don't know what they were seeing. I don't know what they were looking at because to me, Royce Freeman has not looked, he's, he hasn't looked like the type of guy that you, that, that you guarantee anything to. He has not looked like a special player to me his entire time here in Denver. And, and I mean, you know, me and James both saw the same thing on the tape when he came out as a rookie in 2018, just a, a, uh, kind of a plotter, not not a whole lot of speed. There's, you know, not much, uh, not much elusiveness. It, it was just, it's a little painful to watch him sometimes. And and I just, I don't see anything special. I don't see anything that screams, this guy has to be on the field. This has to be your starter. You know, that to me, this is this could be Monte Ball all over again, where. The hype far exceeds the actual talent. Uh, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not particularly high on Royce Freeman. I think he's fine where he's at with an ADP, you know, somewhere in the twelfth round. But uh, I, and again, I mean, I think the depth chart is going to allow, and the system is going to allow for him to be on the field, which is all it takes. I mean, that's kind of the path to volume and thus fantasy productivity. But I I don't, beyond that, I don't see any reason to believe that he's anything more than, you know, kind of one B like at the very, at the very best. Um, I, and, and if they had better players on that depth chart, I don't think that Royce Freeman would even be in this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm that down on Freeman. He definitely didn't look great at times last season. Um, but he also was hit. And, and, and uh, granted, granted, um, Philip Lindsay has burst. So, I mean, he his his... Uh, yards before contact were a lot higher than Royce Freeman. I believe Royce Freeman also faced a lot more stacked boxes than Philip Lindsay did last season. Um, so that has something to do with it as well. So, I mean, you, you do have to take some context, some things into context here. Um, and I, and I do context. <laughs> ha- ha- hashtag even with context. <laughs> there um, you go. But, yeah, so I mean, he had he he was twenty second uh, at at running back with defenders in the box. Um, Lindsey was uh, there. We are thirtieth. So I maybe it wasn't that big of a difference, but and here's the other thing: is I think a lot of people are. Looking at this as the as a draft capital thing, and yes, draft capital does play a pretty big role in terms of who gets the chances. But 
Philip Lindsay should not have been an undrafted free agent. The guy was phenomenal in college. Um, he he put up monster numbers, I believe, in every season, if not just the uh, the final two seasons. And he wasn't invited to the combine, which was an absolute travesty. And I think that's what just buried him. I mean, not to mention he is a smaller guy. But the fact remains is he had t- over 1,200 yards his junior year, over 1,400 yards rushing his uh, in his senior year. And then he had over 1,700 yards from scrimmage in both seasons. And I, and this is in the Pac-12. And I understand Pac-12 isn't great um, in terms of defense. But at the same time, it's a power five school so it's not like he he's he's facing mountain west conference or caa or whatever conference you want to talk about he's facing like top top talent in in the in the um, pac-12 and he produced numbers including in the passing game where he had 53 receptions in his his junior year and 23 receptions in his senior year so that's something else that we have to take a look at is there are circumstances that were kind of out of his control. Yes, he's small. Yes, he wasn't invited to the combine. And that effectively buried him and, and put him at or allowed him to become an undrafted free agent. But we saw what he can do last year in the NFL. And I would not, while I don't know if he can maintain the efficiency. He's going to get a lot more chances in the passing game. He's probably going to get more chances um, in terms of rushing. So I could definitely see him surpassing 200, rush, 200 rushes. I could definitely see him getting 70 targets. And that puts him way up there in terms of um, he could be back into RB1 this season. So let's get a quick straw poll, and then we'll move on to the next one. But uh, just a one-word answer from each of you guys who wins this job i think it's Lindsay. i I mean i think he's the more talented running back yeah i think at the end of the day Lindsay has more fantasy points at the end of the year than freeman does so i'll i'll say Lindsay. sweep it i'm going with Lindsay. so this being a quarterback centric podcast a super flex podcast uh let's uh let's move on to james and let's talk about a quarterback here yeah, I that that's going to be tough to follow up that one, but uh, I'm going to try to by talking about the Washington quarterback situation. We have Dwayne Haskins, who was drafted early. He was a first round uh, pick for the Washington Redskins. Normally, if you're taking a quarterback in the first round, you're planning on on starting him. But this quarterback class was a little bit different. You know, it wasn't a strong quarterback class. I think we all know that at this point. And there wasn't many people who felt like there was a lot of starters right out of the gate outside of Kyler Murray. So. Uh, you know, you, you have to take that into consideration with Dwayne Haskins. Now, Washington also had had some bad luck with Alex Smith and, you know, with the, the injury that he sustained that could be career-threatening. Um, but, you know, for the time being, you know, they have to plan on him not being there. So they went out and they signed Case Keenum. Now, Case Keenum is a nice, uh, you know, he's a nice plug-and-play quarterback that, you know, is is – He's he's probably what a little bit below a replacement level quarterback I would I would think but on a team with a decent defense and what they I, I believe what Washington thinks is going to be a good running game maybe they think that a guy like Case Keenum can do enough in that starting spot at least early in the year to keep them competitive 
Um, and then we got Colt McCoy, and I, I've never been a huge Colt McCoy fan. However, when your competition, again, is Case Keenum and Dwayne Haskins, who is a rookie, you know, they might not want to throw this guy to the Wolves. Maybe Colt McCoy actually has a chance to win this starting job. So it's really interesting for me because I don't think Washington has elite pass catchers. I think they have a very nice offensive line, a good running game, uh, potentially. I think uh, – Darius Geis's health is going to to play a key role in that. Although I do think Adrian Peterson still has a little bit of little bit of juice left, and I think uh, Chris Thompson's going to be a very uh, very valuable asset to whatever quarterback starts. Jordan Reed's health is going to be very important because I think whatever quarterback is going to uh, going to to take over this uh, this Washington quarterback position, uh, Jordan Reed's probably going to be their best weapon in the passing game. Um, then you look at the wide receivers, and boy, there's a lot of question marks there, isn't there? I mean, we, we still have Josh Dox in there. We still have uh, guys like Paul Richardson. There, there's a lot of names that you can name in Washington. Trey Quinn, uh, there's, there's a lot of guys there, but I don't think any of them – uh, have proven to be elite at, at this point. So it's interesting. There's there's just kind of a hodgepodge of, of receivers there. So I'm really interested to see how this one plays out. Um, wh- what do you guys think? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to you, John. What, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this quarterback situation? Uh, I, I mean, I think you'd take Colt McCoy out of the, out of the equation altogether. I, I, I don't, I just don't see any reason to, to even consider Colt McCoy. I don't think that he, I, I don't think he does, he does kind of the same thing as both guys, but just not as, as well as either of them, uh, if that makes sense. So first of all, I think you take him out, but all that being said, I mean, I, I don't, you're playing for third in the NFC East. That's the reality here. And I, I would say that Washington's roster is, is more New York giants than they are. Philadelphia Eagles or even Dallas Cowboys at this point. So, I mean, if, if you really think that you've got a shot at getting to the playoffs, I, I mean, I guess you could give Keenum a, a shot, but I, I don't see it, man. I think that I, I, I actually think that Dwayne Haskins gives you the best chance to win. I think that he makes the most sense because you do have a young wide receiving core you've got you know um you you've got a young running back with Darius Geis who by the way I kind of expect to be on and off the field um the exact same thing that we just saw with Dalvin Cook in 2018 coming off an ACL injury I I think that it's going to be a little bit of a lost year for Darius Geis and I think it's going to be a little bit of a lost year for the wide receiver core. While you know Kelvin Harmon and and uh, uh, McLaurin kind of get up to speed, but um, you know I I just I don't see any reason to hold back with Haskins. Just get him out there. the The big knock that people have on Dwayne Haskins is just a lack of experience. We'll get him some experience. Just get him out there. Let him let him just I, I mean you can water the playbook down if you need to there's kind of absolutely nothing to really lose by putting him out there now and getting him in that experience you know letting this entire offense kind of gel together and kind of grow up together and i i just i don't see any reason at all to start anybody other than Dwayne Haskins if they think they have a chance to win now they might go with Case Keenum, but I think it would be a huge mistake. What do you think, Stomp? 
so this is going to turn into a what I prefer versus what will happen debate in my head. Head versus heart. We've done yeah. that before. Um, so, I mean, many, many know that I'm, I'm kind of a Matt Waldman disciple, and he, he's always made the argument for rookie QBs not starting right away. Um, and that even is with guys like uh, Patrick Mahomes as well, who he was right, he was on right away. He was his QB one in 2017, even with the likes of Deshaun Watson, um, whomever else was in that class. I can't even remember that class at this point. But, um, and I think I'm on that side because we we've seen multiple examples in the last few years of rookie QBs struggling and now finding themselves in a funk, uh, lack of confidence though, <laughs> though Dijon Kaiser has seemingly regained that confidence. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've seen Dijon Kaiser get thrown to the wolves and, and maybe not the best example with, with the Cleveland offense there and, and Hugh Jackson as his head coach. But I mean, even more recently, Josh Rosen had Sam Bradford, or, or because of the Sam Sam Bradford injury, Josh Rosen was kind of thrown in there when I don't think he was ready, and I don't think the Cardinals were going to be winning anyway. And I think you, he he loses confidence. The team lost confidence in him. Now he's competing for a job with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and and no offense to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but. That dude is like had two good seasons in his career. He's he's basically a career backup at this point. And Josh Rosen was thought of thought of by many as the best quarterback coming out of that class. Um, so there's several examples right there, or three examples right there, where it's like, well, we know. And I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a little bit different because he had the physical skills. Um, anybody learned behind an extremely good or an extremely cerebral quarterback in Alex Smith and an extremely good head or uh, yeah, offensive mind in Andy Reed. So there's, there's differences there, but there seems to be this impatience with quarterbacks when it comes to the NFL. And if you're not successful within the first couple of years, you're basically SOL and there needs to be some sort of patience in developing these quarterbacks, and and that's what I'm hoping happens in Washington, where, yeah, maybe he gets chances to be on the field, but is benched when he's not playing well and starts to learn from those mistakes, and he has a coach that will um, be there to help him learn. And and we've seen Jay Gruden uh, be good with younger quarterbacks. I mean, he would. I I feel like he was. Very good in developing, and maybe this is this is a lot to do with Sean McVay, but uh, helping develop Andy Dalton, helping develop, and and let's be real, Andy Dalton is not the worst quarterback in the league. It doesn't help that he had Hugh Jack or not Hugh Jackson, but uh, Marvin Lewis as his head coach. But um, and, and then uh, Jay Gruden has also helped develop Kirk Cousins. So. I'm ho- what I'm hoping happens is that Case Keenum gets this job and that Haskins can learn. And let's be real, Haskins has only had one season of really like competitive football, it, it, starting at Ohio State. Um, and there are definitely some things he needs to work on. 
and and you brought it up, John, is there's just not this offense is not good. Because the pass catchers, I don't think you really have any trust in any of them. I mean, people like to mention Trey Quinn, but he's still only in his second season coming off of an injury. Terry McLaren uh, could be good for Dwayne Haskins, a familiar face, but then you have Paul Richardson, who hasn't been great. Uh, Doxson's an absolute bust. Jordan Reed's injured constantly. I mean, the only one that I would really want on that offense is Darius Geis, and now he's dealing with a hamstring issue, which I don't think becomes an issue in the regular season. So what it means to me is this is just going to be a lost season. Like like you said, John, they, they finish at best as third in the NFC East. They are not making the playoffs this season. And I would much rather have a year of Haskins develop being behind Case Keenum, and I do think it's Case Keenum, but it, there are there is some smoke around Colt McCoy. Yeah, I'm gonna kind of circle back here because when I when I break this down, to me it's interesting. I see it a little bit differently. First off, I see Jay Gruden as being a guy who could be on the hot seat. He, he kind of has to win, and and you know I think if they suffer a, a, another rough season. He, he could be gone. I think there's a good chance that Washington could be in the market for a new head coach. And whether whether that's right or wrong, I, I just feel that's how NFL executives approach this is the coach gets the blame. Well, if, if Washington's bad again, you know, there's going to be fans calling for his head. And I think that's probably the, the most likely domino to fall. So I think there's pressure on Jay Gruden to win now. So I think that's an interesting component in this. Um, I also think that the reason why I wouldn't throw Colt McCoy out is because he's the one, the one guy that knows the system. He's the one guy that's been there and um, understands he's, he's developed chemistry with some of these guys, I'm sure. Um, so that's the one guy that I would think would have a head up in the preseason. And I think the way he, the way he ends up getting this job, if he does, is the other guys just play poorly in the preseason, you know, and they struggle to gather uh, to, to, uh, they, they struggle to grasp the playbook. They struggle to understand the system and what's asked of them at the line and make their reads and that sort of thing. So if that happens, I could see Colt McCoy being the safest option early in the season and winning this job. I just don't think that he's going to be the long-term answer. I think after a few weeks, maybe three, four weeks, he's probably replaceable. I think that's probably when Haskins comes in. Yeah, uh, the other thing we have to consider too, though, is that Dan Snyder is – about as hands-on, if not more so, than Jerry Jones. And let's be real, he has not made fantastic decisions, and he at one time was considered the worst owner in sports. And he may pressure Jay Gruden into playing Dwayne Haskins right away. Um, so that's another aspect that we have to take into consideration here. He may, he may, or, you know, he, uh, he may have learned his lessons on, on, you know, throwing young guys into the fire. Maybe he doesn't want that. Maybe he wants the opposite. Um, maybe he would rather, you know, Keenum start, you know, he, he, we threw a bunch of money at Case Keenum. Let's start him and let the young guy develop. And then later in the year we can play him. I, I don't know, uh, but you're right. That's definitely something that uh, may play a key factor in this, but uh, I just, to me, I think one of the other guys, one of these veterans is probably going to start the season, whether it's Keenum or McCoy, I would bet Keenum just because I think he's the more talented of the two. 
Um, but I think one of those two is going to start the season. But I think by probably week six, maybe week eight, midseason, you you see Haskins take that job over. Um, but I do think that early on, I think one of these veterans is going to have some sort of uh, value, especially in Superflex. I think one of these guys is going to have value as a starter. I don't think they're going to be an every week starter, but they might be a bi-week replacement type guy um, that you can throw in on a bi-week if need be and a guy that maybe you could pick up off the waivers, especially if it's McCoy. See, I still think that the way to handle this, if if you're Jay Gruden, is is just go with Haskins. Kind of treat the beginning of the season as a little bit of an extension of the of the preseason, essentially. And I think that if you know this starts to gel a little bit late in the season, and you see this offense starting to come around with with Haskins and you know the 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 chemistry developing between Haskins and those young wide receivers. I think you've got a little bit of proof of concept there that, that you can actually sell as, all right, give us one more year to, to prove that this is actually working. I don't, I I mean, you can't really prove any kind of progress with case Keenum or even with Colt McCoy. So that could be round quarterback though. You can, you can show that, Hey, like this is, we've seen, we're seeing some progression here. Uh, with this overall offense it just needed it some time to gel but give us another year and and you know this time next year i think you're going to be looking at a at a playoff caliber team i don't know that i necessarily buy into that but they i think they could sell it that way yeah that that makes sense to me but i think what stompy said is also um you know with with daniel snyder he might not wait till till the end of the season. He might make a coaching change midseason. Um, <laughs> and Daniel Snyder, we never know. I mean, this I, it would yeah. not shock me if he fired a coach, you know, beginning of the season because he started one and five. Um, so I think there's some pressure even early on in the season to win and to be at least decent. And then <clears throat> going to the young quarterback later and being able to show, hey, look, you know, we, we had some promise with this guy. So um, I think there's some merit to what you say. The only problem is, is that I don't know with Daniel Snyder not being the most stable of owners or patient <laughs> of owners um, that, that he'll be afforded that opportunity. Yeah, the, the problem there is that, I, I mean, Daniel Snyder is just as likely to hang on for way too long. He's done that as well. So uh, it, it's it's really hard to say. He's also he he also is is uh, he he's not really a trailblazer you know he's a lot more of a copycat type of owner um i mean they they love to just go out and sign the uh kind of the the big name free agents who have already kind of developed and and established themselves um they you know t- throw a ton of money at, at veterans with big names um, rather than developing their own talent, that's that's been an mo of the of the Washington team since Dan Snyder's been there. So, uh, I I think that there's also a chance that he kind of looks around the NFL and he sees, you know, what what Kansas City's been able to do since you know with with Pat Mahomes or look at the LA Rams with Jared Goff. Um, even go back to and this is I mean this is nothing new. This is we've talked quite a bit about this but you know it all started kind of with russell wilson in seattle once they found that young franchise quarterback on his rookie deal then they were able to spend the rest of their cap putting a team around him i think that's going to appeal to dan snyder as well but 
I mean, yeah, when we're when we're trying to predict what Dan Snyder is going to do, it, it, it means that we've kind of jumped the shark on this particular topic. So let's just get to our straw poll here. And uh, one word answer, who wins this battle? I think Keenum. I'm going to say, I, I, I guess coming out of camp, I'll say Keenum, even though I think Haskins ends up with the most fantasy points at the end of the year. Okay, and I'm going to go with Haskins. So, uh, so we're we're two to one on that one, and let's move on to the next one here. And uh, I'm going to go. I'm actually going to skip. I'm going to save our uh, my quarterback battle for a little bit later in the show. Um, but I'm a, I've got a fairly quick one here. I think for us, um, I'm going to go to the wide receiver position in Minnesota. So here's the here's the deal. I mean, we know number one number two or more like 1a 1b is Diggs and Thielen but I think that there's a pretty big opportunity for somebody to take to you know to take on that wide receiver three role I think that there's a a, a, there's going to be a pretty good target share for somebody and that's with those two guys healthy and if either of those guys goes down all of a sudden your number three wide receiver is I mean, you know, like high-end wide receiver two upside weekly, I think. So to me, for fantasy purposes, even though we're talking about the third wide receiver on an NFL depth chart, I think for fantasy purposes, this is a this is a big one. I think this is a nice of this is going to be a huge deep sleeper for fantasy purposes. Whoever wins this battle. And it would sure be nice to be able to get out in front of it. So right now we're we're looking at Laquan Treadwell. I I mean, going into year four here, I, I it sure seems like the the ship is sailed. I think that uh, you know that it's it's hard to buy into the idea that Laquan Treadwell becomes a thing now. But I think that he probably has the inside track. I think that he probably starts the uh, he's probably starts camp as number three on the train on the depth chart. And it's just a matter of holding off the other guys. Um, I mean, he still has first round draft pedigree. I, I, I got to think that he, if nothing else, he's got kind of that incumbent, uh, that incumbent role. That's kind of, um, that gives him an advantage kind of home field advantage, so to speak. But another guy that joins, the depth chart and um, and is already kind of making some noise is Jordan Sunshine Taylor, who comes over with Gary Kubiak. Um, Kubiak drafted him in Denver. Uh, so far, Jordan Taylor's claim to fame has been the fact that he was rehabbing right along with Peyton Manning um, during that Super Bowl 50 run. And uh, and so they they kind of worked together he he helped to rehab Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning has dropped his name ever since um is a a potential star in the NFL but so he follows Gary Kubiak to Minnesota and it sounds like he's already turning heads uh but so far kind of in uh in mini camps and OTAs the, probably the biggest star so far has been Chad Beebe um, and you know, the kind of a, kind of a inside outside guy, 
along the same lines as both Thielen and Diggs. So there's kind of some versatility there where the other guys are more perimeter type receivers. So, I mean, you could do a lot with a formation of, you know, a, a three wide receiver set with Diggs, Thielen and BB. Uh, it gives you a lot of ver- versatility and a lot of, a lot of different looks. Um, and I think that if that was the case, BB's going to draw easily the softest coverage and uh, could definitely uh, could could take on a target share, a pretty significant target share as well. So um, to me, this is a pretty interesting one. Like I said, this is more for fantasy purposes. It's really hard to care about the third wide receiver on any NFL team. Uh, but I think that there's a potentially a deep sleeper here uh, that I think uh, I think could be huge for fantasy purposes, at least in 2019. I'm I'm gonna pull a James here and say I don't care. Damn it! I just told you why you have to care. Why? <laughs> but, you, well, why you should care? Yeah, I. But I'm good at fantasy football. I am good at fantasy football. So um, I don't have to care about the third wide receiver. Uh, listen, I wasn't even gonna bring that up. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, so I didn't. I didn't say what fantasy football tournament exactly. I just said. I just pulled out the normal. You don't have to. I, I think I won like six leagues last year. It's fine. Um, nice flex. So, yeah, I know. Uh, so it, it it seems like, like you said, Chad Beebe is the rave of the offseason right now. Um, Gary Kubiak seems to like him a lot. Uh I like I like that we just skip over Kevin Stefanski because nobody really cares what he has to say about the offense. It's all about Gary Kubiak, um, which brings to mind Jordan Taylor. I mean, we, you and I both have seen everything that came out about Jordan Taylor with Peyton Manning, um, and and Gary Kubiak was there, and that's definitely it's some Kubiak knows him, Dennison knows him. I mean, so he's got a kind of an upper edge uh, or or a a step up on the competition there. One that I think, and and I'm just going to throw a wrench in here, one that I think we forget about and what I think was a relative steal for the Vikings was Ola B.C. Johnson, a local kid from uh, Colorado State. And it's not like he was the most prolific. Obviously, he's dealt with Mike. Michael Gallup and then and then Preston Williams there, but he was still productive for three straight seasons, 613 passes or rushing or good Lord. He's a wide receiver receiving yards, uh, 595 and then 796 um, in those three straight seasons. So, I mean, that's a guy to keep an eye on here too. Uh, the thing, the thing with Treadwell is, I just we we've heard about fourth year breakouts was I believe Devonte Adams was a fourth year breakout, but I I just don't know if he's going to get the volume. the The volume this is a very concentrated offense with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, and then you add uh, Dalvin Cook back into the mix, hopefully for a full season, healthy. I think he will be healthy a full season, James. Uh, and then you have Kyle Rudolph. Um, so it's just, what is that this third wide receiver actually going to do for this offense? So that that's the thing with Laquan Treadwell is unless he breaks out, I I mean, or, or proves something, I think he's done. And I, I think 
with a new basically offensive regime, I, he could could be done anyway. Um, so in terms of camp battles, I just uh, this is a very good one because I honestly have no idea who's going to win this. Um, it seems like like right now Chad Beebe has that leg up because of the rave reviews from Gary Kubiak, but like like we talked about, he's familiar with Sunshine, and then Olabisi Johnson has this requisite skill set. So I guess it, this was a perfect perfect battle. Nice. All I really care about is the fact that you went from I don't care to this is a very this is a very good battle this is a perfect battle. I just like that your hyperbole kind of switched from one end of the spectrum to the other. So, um I'll take it. What uh, I'm still saying? I'm still better at fantasy football than you. I'm I'm so good at fantasy football. I don't have to worry about. What do you think, James? Let's 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 let Stompy mute his mic for a while and Well, I I, I wanted talk. I I wanted to look to see if Minnesota had any Wisconsin Badger castaways that I could plug here. Um, they don't, though, so I wish they'd get on that. But um, but yeah, no. W- looking at this, I mean, there yeah, there's there's some hype coming out of camp with BB. Um, we've definitely heard some good things, and I think uh, I think Kubiak is being genuine when he says those things. So I think there's there's something to consider there. Um, it, Taylor's interesting for me just because I feel like he can be pretty productive out of the slot. Um, I feel like that would be a really good role for him. The problem is, is I think Thielen really excels in the slot. I think that's where he's best used. So in three wide receiver sets, I'd like to see somebody outside. Now I know Taylor can play that role. I just don't know if he can beat the press enough um, to, to, to really be viable out there. Uh, Treadwell's a guy, man. I mean, we struggle with Treadwell, but I mean, we, got to think this is a contract year for him right i mean they're not going to exercise the fifth year option on him so this is it this is a contract year for treadwell if he's ever going to become something this is the time he's got to get an opportunity i mean for him if he's going to have a career in the nfl he's got to get an opportunity and show something this year uh, so i i guess if i had to to bet on one of these guys it would be treadwell but it would be very cautious um on that i just feel like you know, you can put him outside in those three wide sets. You can move Thielen inside. And you can also, like you said, John, in four wide sets, Treadwell um, has the versatility to kick inside. And so I like that as well. Um, and I think he has a step up just knowing, you know, no, he, he's got some chemistry there with Cousins. I mean, last year he didn't play much, but when he did, he actually looked okay when he actually got targeted. Um, he made some catches that were like, wow, yeah, I, he caught that. That's That was impressive. So he actually made some He plays. actually caught it. <laughs> No, no, it wasn't that he caught it like it was in the numbers, you know, and it was right at his chest and he caught it. No, there was some. Because he was can't some, catch those ones. There was, oh God, there were some nice catches that he made last year, okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm trying not to, to dump <laughs> on the guy, all right? And Sorry. it's hard enough as is, so, so you don't need to help. Thank you. But, um. Sorry, just stop yeah. these salts spilled over into, uh, into my studio here. And he's probably smiling year to year because he doesn't have to say anything and he still gets, he still gets to hear it, so. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't, I, I don't think Treadwell is very good and I didn't when he came out, but like I said, I think the early, the early edge has to go to Treadwell just because I think he, he, he has some chemistry there. He knows the system. He knows the playbook. He's been there longer. Um, and he's been able to build some chemistry with Kirk Cousins. So I think, I think the early edge has to go to him, but I could, I could, it would not shock me if either one of these guys, um, upseated him by, 
by week one. Um, I, I, I do, in the end, think Treadwell wins the opportunity to be the wide receiver three in Minnesota. Um, but I, I, I almost wonder if there is an injury, if he bumps up to the two, or if if they surpass him and just keep him in that three role, you know, in that three spot. So um, that, that it's interesting to monitor. I think it's definitely something in camp that we have to kind of look at usage and kind of look at the confidence that Minnesota has in these guys and when they're going to use them and where they're going to use them, because that could play a, a key role and tell us something about how, uh, how they're going to use these guys going into the season. Yeah, there could be an actual, I, they could actually stick to the depth chart on this one. It could be kind of a, you know, Taylor is the, is the backup to Thielen and BB is the backup to Diggs and Treadwell is the number three. And then, you know, if Diggs goes down, it's BB that steps up. If Thielen goes down, then it's Taylor that steps up. It could, it could definitely be a scenario like that. And I think that that would make probably the most sense, but let's do our, uh, our straw poll on this one. Um, one word answer. Who do you guys got in this battle? I'm going to go BB. I'll go Treadwell. And Treadwell for me. So we're two to one on that one again. So let's get to the next one and back to you, Stomp. This one, I think, might be the most interesting one to me. Um, and it's the Eagles starting running back. Uh, and we have Jordan Howard versus. Um, I, I was just going to say Manny Sanders, Miles Sanders. Good Lord. <laughs> Jordan Howard versus Miles Sanders. Um, and I think a lot of people are really underestimating Jordan Howard here. Uh, I get it. I liked Miles Sanders coming out. I thought he was the best running back in this class. Uh, that doesn't say a ton, but Miles Sanders had was phenomenal in college. I mean, we saw – and I think he was just uh, underrated because of living in Saquon Barkley's shadow. But when you look at his senior season, he had over 1,200 yards rushing. He had 24 receptions for 139 yards and nine touchdowns. Like, he's not Saquon Barkley, but he had a great season in, in the Big Ten. And uh, he showed that he can catch the ball as well, which is extremely valuable. Now he lands in Philadelphia, which has – uh, an inordinate amount of running backs. I mean, I can count. I can count six, and I'm sure there's more. Um, hashtag free Josh uh, Adams. But I like that one. <laughs> yeah, we've got to get that one trending. But uh, yeah, and, and they traded for Jordan Howard this offseason for a six round pick, and I get it. Not a lot of, or, I mean, not a lot of capital there, but. I just I think there's we're underestimating Jordan Howard here. I mean, the dude has been a monster since he's entered the league. He had two straight uh, seasons of over a, a thousand yard or eleven hundred yards rushing, including thirteen hundred in his rookie season. Um, he even had fifty targets that season. And we but he we know he's not a great pass catcher, even though he had a seventy seven percent catch rate last season. But even last season, when he wasn't uh, fantastic nor nor efficient, he still had 935 yards and he had nine touchdowns. So through his career, through his first three seasons, he's had thirty over 3,300 yards on the ground with 24 rushing touchdowns. And that was behind an O-line that was not 
nearly as good as Philadelphia's. Um, if we look at uh, football outsiders, offensive line, adjusted yards ranking, um, Philadelphia ranked, uh, well, 19th, and Chicago ranked 28th last season. So that gives you an idea of how tremendously bad that Chicago offensive line was, and that definitely didn't help Howard's chances. Um, and I get it. He's he's kind of like just above average for me. Uh, but when it comes to Doug Peterson and that offense, I just don't know how much you're going to trust a rookie here. Um, and and we also know, and, and maybe this is the argument that needs to be made, is that neither are going to be really trustworthy this season. So who cares who wins the RB battle this season? Both are going to get touches, and both are going to be relatively um, unusable in fantasy, we'll say. Unless somebody you, pulls- you brought it up, by the way, you can't drop a who cares on something that you I'm initiated the conversation. I'm not saying who cares. I'm saying <laughs> you just the did. argument. Well, I didn't. It's it's more <laughs> that the argument is, or I think most are arguing that Miles Sanders is going to be the starter there, but I just don't think that's the case because, like. Like we said, or like I said, there's like six guys there. Um, Josh Adams was effective at times last season. We've seen Wendell Small would be effective at times. Corey Clement was like the toast of Philadelphia after the Super 2017 Super Bowl. I'm not saying I don't care. I'm saying that this might be an av- avoid situation until Jordan Howard's gone. So I think the point is, and we need to talk about these things anyway is um and i did i guess i did say who cares um <laughs> thank you I, i'm not now that i because i was just about to say it uh, <laughs> i'll say it doesn't matter who the starting running back is there because <laughs> that's, neither, that's like I, nope, I didn't say who cares man uh, <laughs> it's the same thing I, that's fine but i'm not saying i don't care like it's not an it's not an agnostic i don't care or an <laughs> i don't care it's a I would avoid this situation because regardless of who wins that starting job, it may not be the most lucrative of jobs. Okay. That's, that's perfect. I, I care. It doesn't matter, but I care. And that's, that sums up my life pretty much right there. Like, I am a nihilist. I care about nihilist. things that don't matter. Fine. Everything. <laughs> awesome. Nihilist. That must be exhausting. Uh, Big Lebowski. Um, (laughs) I I just care. Uh, I don't care about anything. I'm just trying to get all the information out there. There you go. There you go. No, that's uh, you. You brought it back just fine. But uh, so I guess the question here is, uh, is how much do we actually care about this? Now let's go ahead and do the, our no, normal. No, no. <laughs> no, we'll uh, we'll do our actual we'll do our actual poll here though, uh, our straw poll. Who wins the starting running back job uh, in uh, in Philadelphia? And uh, yeah, we're not accepting. I don't care, or it doesn't matter. I'll go Jordan Howard. I'm gonna take Miles Sanders. I'll say this: uh, Jordan Howard is the starting quote-unquote starting running back miles sanders has the most fantasy points so i'll, t- I'll do okay. a james answer there and say jordan howard but i think miles sanders is more successful fantasy wise okay 
Mm-hmm. I like that. That yeah, that's that does feel like the most likely scenario. So I guess the real answer there is for fantasy purposes. I mean, first of all, it probably doesn't totally matter, but um, yeah, don't, don't go off of who wins the training camp battle uh, when it comes to fantasy production at the end of the season. But all right, next one from you, James. Yeah. I, I've been looking forward to get, get uh, getting to this one. Um, we're going to talk about the Titans quarterback situation. Oh. Marcus Mariota versus Ryan Tannehill. Uh, now, I don't think there's a not... question that Tannehill is the more talented of the two. <laughs> and the question is, will he be afforded the opportunity to unseed the off injured, <laughs> off, 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 if off, he's more talented, why wouldn't he? Marcus Mariota. Or, or if Mariota is going to get a free pass because he's quote unquote tough, playing through injuries and gritty again. So I, I'm hoping. I've never that, heard that one. By the I'm way. hoping that Tannehill gets gets an gets a fair opportunity to win this job because if he does, I think he's the starter week one. Stomp. What do you think? <laughs> well, I believe there was a episode a while back. Was it uh, your nuts? Mm-hmm. That. Mm-hmm. Marcus Mariota would be the starting, or or sorry, Ryan Tannehill would be the starting quarterback at, to start the season. And here we are in the middle of a camp battle. Yep, you two freaking fur boys are still on this <laughs> every uh, damn week. I love every it. damn week. I know. Do we even bother with the straw poll here? No, we don't. No, nope. we, we don't. Yeah, this is no longer a democracy. Next one. Next. Oh. Oh, no, no, no. Let, let's nope. just next, lay this out Next battle. Next okay. battle. Fine. <laughs> well, all right, fine. Let, let's hear it. 4,000 yards. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, Marcus- it. that's your analysis. That's, your, that's your, big, your big stump speech for... Last year, Marcus Mariota had eight games when he didn't throw a touchdown. Eight. Uh-huh. Oof. <sighs> Couldn't feel his hand. Thank right. you, thank you, Paul Charchian, for that one too. Yeah, that was beautiful. That was a beautiful tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you like that? Did you enjoy? I'm I'm glad to hear. I did. I'm glad to great. hear that you guys were so entertained by that one. That let's see does uh, not matter. Well, let's see. Let's hand. look at the touch. Let's look at the touchdown percentage each of the last two seasons. When he couldn't feel his hand. Well, what about 2017? 2017, he had no one to throw to. Corey Davis was. Oh my God. Who did he have to throw to in 2016 and 2015? Corey Davis wasn't in the league yet. He was hurt again. That's fine. What does that have to do? (laughs) We have excuses for every year that he underperformed. He hasn't. He is. You guys have to admit, you have to acknowledge that he has not had anywhere near the receiving core that he's going to have in 2019. I don't even know if, that even if going to have gonna... it. I think Tannehill is going to have that receiving core. Yeah, that's true. Uh. I think <laughs> but no, let's look at it. So he had 2.9 touchdown percentage in 2017, 3.3 in 2018. And let's look at uh, Tannehill's lowest was 2.5 in his rookie season since it's been 4.1 or higher, including 6.2 last season. His interception, I mean, they, they have the same career interception percentages. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tannehill's just thrown more or th- and thrown better and just been better. It's fine. He's better. Your looks have become a problem, by the way. 
anyway, my looks. Yes, yes. We need. We're, we'll talk more about that off air, though. Um, and James, your personal hygiene has become a problem. Wow. Let's get to oh. the. Let's get to the next one, please. This is not. This is. This is not. There, we're getting. We're getting not, John fired up. He's he's starting to go with the ad hominem of. Taxi. I'm about to hop in the shower and show you guys my nuts. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it it's it's not just it's not just you that stinks either. It's your opinions smell the worst. Oh, John. Yeah, you guys. Every damn week you do this to me, and it. I, yep. Uh, quite frankly, it's starting. It's I'm starting to take it a little bit personally. I'm starting to feel like this is a personal thing. John, we worked really attack. hard. We worked really hard on that take. And you know what? If I wanted to personally attack you, I would have put in Deshaun Kaiser versus Aaron Rodgers, considering Deshaun <laughs> Kaiser is a future MVP. That's where he sees himself, John. I didn't even put that on the sheet. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So does, so does Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. All right. Anyways, yeah, so that's that's a pretty easy one. Um, mostly just because I mean there's clearly there's no way for me to convince you guys to vote for Marcus Mariota. Nope. So we don't even need to do a poll on that one. That's that's fine. That's fine. So here you go. Uh let's let's get to another one here. Packers wide receiver two. You've got Marquez Veldez Scantling. Uh he he got the most targets. Um, outside of Devontae Adams last year was 72 61 from Randall Cobb. Um, and then uh, from there, I mean, nobody came particularly close uh, to Marquez Valdez Scantling. So uh, 36 was the next highest number from Equinemius St. Brown. But with Randall Cobb gone now, um, that's. Uh, so you certainly have the uh, the slot role is kind of up for grabs, um, but we still have the outside, uh, the second perimeter wide receiver to deal with as well. So I mean, it, it could really be it could it could be either position. The number two wide receiver could come from either the outside or the slot pretty easily, and I don't feel like we got a a, a particularly accurate representation of what this offense is going to look like. Um, last year because, I mean, admittedly, it was a very down year for Aaron Rodgers uh, as far as um, as particularly touchdowns, but the yardage was down, the completions were down, the attempts were somewhat down. Um, The the interceptions were awesome, but uh, that's all, all, everything probably has some room to, to go up a little bit. And especially... I mean, I, I've said this before. I mean, to me, he's the most likely to put up MVP type of numbers. So in order to do that, there's got to be somebody beyond Devontae Adams catching the football uh, for a significant number of targets, catches, yards, touchdowns, all of it. There's there's a significant workload available to at least one of these guys. So anyways, back to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Geronimo Allison, Equinemius St. Brown, Jamon Moore, Jake Kumaro, any one of those guys. And I I mean, I've got my personal favorites. I think that Equinemius St. Brown gives you the most versatility. 
I think that Jake Kumaro is a, a sneaky kind of a, a Jordy, Jordy Nelson type of clone that Aaron Rodgers just kind of gravitates towards. We've seen a significant workload from Marquez Valdez Scantling. And I don't think that you can totally take Geronimo Allison out of the discussion, even though I'd like to, I, I, I don't, I think that it, the, the opportunity is kind of come and gone for Geronimo Allison, but he, he has been there the longest. The rest of these guys are going into their second year. So, and I mean, maybe there's a, even a dark horse possibility with Jamon Moore. I'm honestly at a complete loss on this one. That's why I wanted to bring this one up is because I, like I said, I've got my favorites here, but I'm really curious what you guys think, because I just, I cannot get a feel for this one at all. Other than the fact that somebody is going to have an awesome opportunity. Honestly, it could be two of them. Um, with, LaFleur coming in, coming from a McVeigh system. Not, I mean, obviously not the previous season. Um, and I just don't think that the Titans had the personnel to be able to run like the uh, 11 personnel package that the Rams do. Um, but I think you have the quarterback and you, you have maybe not equivalent right wide receivers to the Rams, but you have that type of variety to the Rams where you have Devonta Adams is kind of the – Robert Woods role, um, MVS turns into that Cooper Cup type role, that big slot role. And then uh, it, it really depends on how you feel. I like Geronimo Allison a lot this season, I think mostly because of his ADP. But when you look at last season, and yeah, he only played in five games, but those first four games, he was a wide receiver 27. And he had – five receptions for 69 yards, six receptions for 64 yards, two receptions for 76 yards, two touchdowns in those three games, and then six receptions for 80 yards. And he had eight, six, four, and 11 targets in those first four games. So, I mean, it, and like you said, Geronimo Allison has been there the longest in, in terms of the five that we're talking about, five wide receivers we're talking about, and he, he's sh- shown some semblance of chemistry however short of a time with Aaron Rodgers so that's the guy I really like here that I'm grabbing I get the MBS hype um, especially if Lafleur wants to use a big slot uh, but at the same time you had that uh, Bleacher Report article um, by uh, Tyler Dunn come out talking about McCarthy and, and Aaron Rodgers and how Rodgers likes to call his own plays at the line. And he would tell like Mark, I mean, we saw Marquez Valdez Scantling emerge last season, but then he disappeared off the face of the planet. And from this article, it sounds like it's because he would, li- he was listening to McCarthy and he would run the routes that McCarthy wanted him to, and not what Aaron Rodgers wanted him to. And that puts an inkling of doubt in my mind. I don't know how much it matters, but it there's an inkling of doubt. And so for me, that makes me want to lean towards Geronimo Allison just because of the production last season, just because of that perceived chemistry. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I okay, so I have a, a pretty unique take on this, and obviously I'm 
I'm a little bit different because I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a top five quarterback this year, right? I've I've stated that we've already gone through that. So because of that, and, and part of the reason I feel that way is because I don't like this supporting cast at all. Um, Aaron Rodgers has already come out and said he wants to get Devontae Adams the ball more. And I think the reason for that is because there's not a whole lot here that he's probably very confident in getting the ball to. I mean, look, Geronimo Allison, when he was healthy, was okay. Yeah, he was okay. He, he you know, he had some targets, he had some decent games. But the problem is, is that, you know, this the second year in a row now, he he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So now, you know, can this guy stay healthy? That's gonna be the question mark there. I mean, it's more of a trend now after two years. Than, than anything. So can he stay healthy? Because he's going to have to if he's going to finish as the wide receiver too on this offense. And then, like you said, John, MBS uh, and, and Stompy, uh, he, he kind of broke out a little bit last year, but he did struggle at the end. And, it, you know, you, you wonder, especially with me being here in Wisconsin, hearing a lot about the Packers. I mean, daily I hear about the Packers. Rodgers does not seem like the type that is going to easily forget the guys that kind of, kind of, you know, sided against him. Um, ask Ryan Braun. So uh, that that just kind of, I, I, I just wonder if he's in uh, Rogers' doghouse and and how that plays out. So um, to me, of the other three, I, Camaro shouldn't even be on this list. Look, I'm sorry. I know a lot of people root for Camaro, and I'm probably going to get a lot of a lot of hate tweets at me um, because Camaro is the guy that uh, that a lot of people like to root for, that underdog type guy. But he's just not very good. He just he he isn't. I don't think he's as talented as any of the other wide receivers on this list. ESP is really interesting because he's the guy that I feel like, given the time and given the playing time, he he could really break out in in the slot. I think I think a slot role really is where he projects to, and I think Aaron Rodgers can make something out of that role. Um, so that that's an interesting name to me. Geronimo Allison again is interesting too. If he can stay healthy, I think he could be that guy. But uh, I don't know if I want to bet on that. Whereas ESP um, really is costs you nothing at this point. I think he's the most intriguing name on there for me. Uh, but it's it's really kind of a roll of the dice at this point, in my opinion. Interesting. Okay. You, uh, you definitely, uh, um, took some more shots that kind of chip away at my soul there between the, the Rogers hate and the Jake Kumaro hate, but, um, I forgive you. I forgive you both. Let's get to our straw poll here. Uh, just, so just one guy, I mean, like I said, I, and Stompy, you, you kind of echoed this as well. I mean, I think that there's probably multiple guys that come out of this who are going to be you know, at least fantasy relevant, whatever that looks like. But let's pick one guy that um, if, if you're going for one guy, regardless of, of ADP, just the one guy that you think is going to be the most productive uh, in uh, in 2019. Geronimo Allison. Hmm, man, this one's tough for me. You know what? Just because, just because I want John to have the deciding vote, I'm going to go to. I'm going to say ESB. Oh man, and I think I'm going to go with uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling. So um, we uh, we accomplish absolutely nothing. We learn nothing. So on to the next <laughs> one. What do you got for us, Stomp? So final one for me: uh, Steelers wide receiver two. I think this has been a pretty decent debate this offseason um my favorite james washington i think he steps into that role uh specifically just coming off of not only and and this is going to kind of contradict myself a little bit but 
um, James Washington has that uh, draft capital. I mean, I believe he was drafted in the second round last season. Yeah, second round. So he's got decent draft capital there. And really, I think he steps into a role that they need because I really hope, and, and maybe this is a hope more than a, an analysis, but Juju Smith-Schuster excels in the slot. I mean, he's, he was a fan, he's been fantastic the last two seasons from the slot, and I think it would be a mistake for them to have him move outside more often. I think he needs to continue to play that uh, flanker role for the Steelers, which means that that outside receiver opposite Juju is open. And I think, I mean, that's what James Washington was good at in college. Um, and, and if you look at it, and I get it, it's the Big 12. There's not defense there. But the dude had th three straight 1,000-yard seasons in college, including over 1,300 yards in 2016, over 1,500 in 2017, double-digit touchdowns in each one of those seasons. Like, he was prolific in college. He's got speed for days. Um, while he might not be the best route runner, I don't necessarily know if you need him to be the best route runner. He just needs to use that speed to get down the field. And, and I'm not saying he's a terrible route runner. He's a decent route runner. But... I, he he's just got the draft. He's got the pedigree. He's got the the draft capital, um, and and I think that's what they need uh, opposite Juju there. But but then you have guys like Dante Moncrief, and how many time? How many years are we going to do this? Where Dante Moncrief? This is his year to break out. No, it's not. not. <laughs> oh my God, it's not. Like I don't know. I, I get him being like a late round flyer just because of the evacuate or the, the uh, vacated targets in Pittsburgh, but he has proven nothing ever. I think he had that one good season with Indianapolis where he had double digit touchdowns and that's it. He has yet to prove anything else in his career. And at what point are we just like, yeah, this isn't going to happen, but he keeps landing in situations where it's like, well, I mean, they technically don't have a second wide uh, second wide receiver that you can trust, so he can step into that role. And I just, I hate it so much. Um, I just and don't then care. I mean, I don't. Um, that one's fair, by the way. I don't care. I don't care. I, I, I actually that guy. I don't care about. I'm done with that guy. <laughs> I, and um, I'm fine with. <laughs> I'm fine with. I don't care in this case. By the way, when it comes to Dante Moncrief, I don't either. And then, and then there's Deontay uh, Johnson um, from Toledo. He had a good junior year. He had a great breakout season. But he, he still was not pro prolific as James Washington. And, I mean, he might be the wide receiver three there. And Moncrief just becomes kind of a red zone weapon. Um, but for me, it's James Washington, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, I uh Yeah, it's I, interesting. I I like How long have you guys been have you guys How long have you guys been podcasting together? <laughs> Get your shit together. Jesus. First time, man. That uh, we're we're still trying to repair this relationship here. So, yeah. Our oh. our chemistry's a little bit off now because of James. He knows what he did. No. Actually, 
I think our groove. I think our groove was messed up when uh, when somebody's internet went out. and We had to like yeah, that's my take a break for a little bit. You know, <laughs> that, that really cut I in. Do have, yeah, I do have that. I, I have no control over that actually. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. For me, James Washington is is as far as who's going to win the job and be on the field. To me, it's James Washington. Um, if you were if you're asking me about fantasy production, I would actually throw Vance McDonald into this conversation. And I think that I would probably give him the nod. But um, it's a totally different position, which is outside of the exercise that we're doing. So um, for me, it's James Washington. But uh, sounds like you had something to say, James. And uh, I'm, I'm really hoping it's not nearly as incendiary as some of the crap that you've been throwing at me. Yeah, no, I don't think it will be. I I like James Washington in this as well. I think, I think I like Moncrief a little bit more than you guys do. I think this is another situation that he lands in where it's just it's a positive situation. He's, you know, he he could very well be a wide receiver two slash three in a high powered offense that throws the ball an awful lot. Um, you know, so again, I think opportunity is is nice for him uh, here. So I could see both those guys being fantasy relevant. Deontay Johnson, I think he. he He's a couple years away. I think he's still pretty raw, and I would like to see him sit for a couple years before I think he's going to contribute anything right away. Uh, but that's just that—that that was my take on him when he when he came out. So um, I think it's between Washington and Moncrief. I would uh, I would go Washington. No, I think uh, I think this one's going to be a clean sweep here. Nice, well, easy I, enough. Well, let's- and, and I think it's I think it's a valid <laughs> point though. Is Deontay Washington? He's coming from non-power five school and he he is raw and james washington is coming from power five school and he what like i said was extremely prolific and he's got draft uh the draft capital so i i just don't i don't know how he doesn't win the job yeah yeah that seems like a a pretty easy one really so let's move on to your last one james yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go with uh, with one that I I'm keeping kind of a close eye on, and this was I, I was keeping a close eye on this one before the the recent news. So let's get to it. The the Dallas Cowboys number two running back position, and that spot is 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 pretty valuable because you're backing up Zeke, right? And and you know Zeke Elliott, while while injuries haven't been a concern, suspensions have been, and now recently it's been it's been leaked that he he may not report to training camp without without a new deal. Um, so now it becomes even more important to kind of know who's going to be that guy if Zeke can't go. Well, right now their their uh, depth chart looks looks pretty rough. I mean they have Darius Jackson, um, Tony Pollard, and Mike Weber, two uh, rookies that they just drafted. Um, in this draft this year. So that that's pretty much what they've got. That's that's what they're working with there in Dallas. So I think it's interesting to monitor and see who's going to win that backup role because, A, it's going to be the handcuff to Zeke. Um, and that could be interesting because, A, if Zeke doesn't get a new deal, um, I, I'm assuming that they would, you know, uh, they would tag him if they can't reach a deal next year. However, if he's not happy and he pulls away Vion Bell, you know, and doesn't sign the franchise tag, well, next year you might, you might have a guy. So um, I know that, that we're looking a year out, but even this year, it's interesting. A suspension to Zeke, all of a sudden someone's playing um, behind him. Has a, has a prominent role on a, on a Dallas offense that likes to run the ball behind a very good offensive line. Um, and if he does get hurt, you know, again, there, there's another opportunity for a back um, behind 
behind Zeke. So it's 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 a really interesting situation, and I'd like to monitor it. I think a lot of people really like um, a, a few of these guys. Let's break them down. Darius Jackson is a running back out of Eastern Michigan. Um, he he hasn't really uh, he hasn't really uh, um, done much. I mean, he was. He was claimed by Dallas, and he's been on and off a few different squads. Green Bay um, had him and cut him. Cleveland had him. Uh, they waived him, um, and then Dallas ended up picking him up. Um, so, uh, and he started with Dallas in 2016. Now he's back with Dallas. He just got picked up last year at the end of last year. So he's kind of a journeyman back. He's never really gotten an opportunity. Um, but then you look at the other guys that they drafted this year and these guys are a little bit more intriguing. Tony Pollard's a guy, a lot of people like out of Memphis. Um, he comes in, he's, he's right around six foot and, um, he's about two, two ten, two fifteen, depending on where you look. But, um, so he's he's a bigger back, and he's a guy that uh, that I think a lot of people really like this year, um, especially backing up Zeke. If he wins that job, he could be a guy that could be very valuable, and he can make something out of those opportunities. Mike Weber is probably the most interesting name out of here. He's a running back out of Ohio State. Um, he's about uh, a little bit shorter. I think he's like 5'10", 200 pounds, 210, somewhere around there. Um, the last I had read, but, uh, but he's a rookie coming into Dallas and he is interesting. He was a seventh round pick and he's a guy who probably would have been higher if it wasn't for injuries. So um, it, it's really interesting to see kind of who's going to win that spot and what their value is going to be as the handcuff to Zeke. So something to monitor in the off season and in training camp, really, I want to hear who's, who's the front runner for that running back two position. Um, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts is, is, does it matter? Um, and if it does matter who who do you guys like stompy i'm gonna start with you i know you've heard of uh you've done your homework on a few of these rookies here uh being pollard and weber how, how do you feel about that situation well i think i think it just it, it's very dependent on the zeke suspension really i mean if we're talking about a backup uh it's going to be mike weber i think uh he he's had a thousand yard season in college at ohio state State. Uh, he had a 954 yard season last season. Uh, demonstrated he can catch the ball um, with 21 and 23 reception seasons, uh, two uh, 1,000 plus yard uh, from scrimmage seasons. So, in terms of what Zeke can do and being the runner, uh, I think it's Mike Weber as the quote unquote RB2. Um, in terms of Pollard, I think he profiles more as a oh, oh sorry by by the way mike weber ran a 44740 so he's 87th percentile there and then 82nd percentile in terms of speed score so he's quick too um maybe not agile he profiles best as marlon mack and i think there's a lot of love for marlon mack this season so that just gives you an idea of what kind of runner uh mike weber can be and like i said tony pollard uh is more of a satellite back. I mean, at Memphis, he was obviously behind uh, Darrell Henderson, uh, but he had 29 receptions, 36 receptions, 39 receptions. Um, and wasn't really used all that much in terms of running the ball. Uh, he only had 31 attempts, 30 and 78 attempts uh, in his career at Memphis. So I just, I, I don't think that Pollard becomes the quote unquote backup because he just does something different. He, and and really, let's be realistic here. I don't. There's not a lot of running backs that can do what Ezekiel Elliott does in terms of being a three-down back. So, I think it's going to be a committee approach anyway, um, with Pollard being the passing down guy and Mike Weber being the 
uh, in between the tackles runner. And I really don't know these guys well enough, so I'm deferring to you guys. I mean, so my thought was, I mean, that, that the fastest time at the combine from Mike Weber, you know, that to me, that just screams kind of third down uh, satellite back type of role. So uh, it is it is interesting to hear that, uh, you know, the possibility of him being a three down back. Um, so, but, well, and know, the interesting if, thing, the interesting thing for it though, is that they're both like the same size. Uh, it's just that Weber was used more as a runner and it might be that Tony Pollard can do that. Um, just wasn't used that way at Memphis, but, but the way they profile Pollard is more of that satellite back. Weber is more mm-hmm. of the runner. Okay. Interesting. All right. Um, well, let's get a, a quick uh, straw poll from you guys then. Who, uh, yeah, who I, wins the backup job? I agree with Stompy. I'm going Weber. Nice. I, I think it's this is a if Zeke, I, the way I look at it, if Zeke gets suspended, I'm going with Weber. He was also talking holdout, right? Isn't yeah, it, yeah. There's there's holdout. Oh, sorry, yeah. It, it, sorry, yeah. if 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 Zeke holds out, sorry. It, basically, yeah. who who replaces Zeke? And I think it's Weber. Yeah, which I I mean to me that's a that's a pretty big move that people should really be making. Then this is why I hate running backs. The guy just barely just barely skirts a suspension and immediately starts talking about a holdout. It's like, dude, like you should be, you should be buying a freaking lotto ticket. Don't ask the, the Cowboys for your money. Like it's your lucky day. Go, go actually buy a Powerball ticket. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the fact that these guys keep holding out for more money, even though we know for a fact that they're not worth it, we know that even the best running backs in the league, they're not worth it. How'd that work out for Le'Veon Bell? So, I mean, it, and he's probably going to do it. He's probably going to hold out. He's probably going to act like he's worth more money than he is. And somebody's going to get an opportunity here. So, yeah. You say, uh, if, you say they're not worth it, but they're well, not. The Steelers, the Steelers were what? Two two James Conner fumbles away from the playoffs last year? Oh, well, just saying. <laughs> just saying. They were, all, I, I mean, you could also make the argument that they were a full James Conner away from, you know, not even being close to the playoffs. I the, think the Bell season was there, that they, they would have been fine. Uh, I don't, I don't know about that, but I mean, they were fine with James Conner other than those fumbles. I guess is the point. James Conner had a better statistical season than Le'Veon Bell had ever had. I know. Let's, let's not go there. Let's not, <laughs> let's not, let's not go there. <laughs> All right. And, I mean, we're running late anyways here, so we've got one more to get to and we need to get back to the quarterback position again, a quarterback centric podcast. We should be talking quarterbacks uh, at least from time to time. So let's, let's do it. Let's get to the other quarterback one battle. We talked about Washington. Miami's got the other one where they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, to to replace Ryan Tannehill, Brock Osweiler, um, the and the, the whole uh, the whole mishmash of quarterbacks that they had in 2018, and then Josh Rosen falls into their lap for the low low cost of a mid second round pick. 
in the 2019 draft. So, I mean, to me, again, I, I, you know, you sign Ryan Fitzpatrick as kind of insurance. You have to have a starter. He's, he's the experienced guy. Um, so you bring him in just in case, but then, I mean, the second Josh Rosen becomes available at that price, it becomes a no brainer. You go get him and you see what you've got. Um, you've now you've got a guy who was picked in the top 10 in his rookie class in 2018. He's got almost a full season of starting NFL experience. It wasn't a good experience, but uh, he was still out on the field. He was battling through the fact that he had probably the worst offensive line in the league. Uh, and also the fact that the, the, defense i mean they were good against the pass but they were horrible against the run and constantly putting you in a position where you're chasing points the defense knows that you have to throw the ball to catch up and the pass rushers get to just pin their ears back and go after josh rosen and they did he was lucky to make it out of arizona alive now he's got second life in miami where they've got a much better offensive line They've got a little bit better wide receiving core than what he had in Arizona. Not a not a great deal, and it's certainly a downgrade at running back. But overall, this is a much better situation for Josh Rosen. And I, I think that this is where you take a look and see what you've got. So my opinion is Josh Rosen is absolutely the guy. There's absolutely to me, there's no reason to start Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think the only way that you that you start Ryan Fitzpatrick is if all of this is moot 2019 to throw away and you're looking at Tua next year. That's the only way it makes any sense to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick here. And it's certainly possible that they're doing that, but I don't know why you wouldn't take a look at Josh Rosen. It's interesting. So uh, yeah, I mean, poor Josh Rosen, right? I mean, he, he ends up in Arizona and with a coaching staff that is absolutely clueless and, you know, he gets beat up all year and, and like you, you highlighted all the issues that they had and he, he didn't have a good year either. He just didn't show well, but I mean, there were multiple reasons for it. And, and then, you know, Arizona gets a new coach and they get a new coaching staff and it sounds like things are going in the right direction. And then Josh Rosen gets traded to Miami and it's like, Oh man, now he's going to be throwing to dolphin receivers, which I think, I think we all like Albert Wilson an awful lot here, but let's not kid ourselves. The rest of that receiving core is pr pretty terrible. I mean, you're, you're banking on Devonte Parker to do something and we haven't seen that. Uh, Mike Gusecki had a really disappointing year last year. We're hoping he can bounce back. And I, I mean, there, there's not a lot there. There's not a lot of confidence in, in, uh, in that, in that supporting cast. He does, John, you did highlight, he does have a better offensive line. So the supporting cast is a little bit better than in Arizona. The running game is interesting. While it's a downgrade from David Johnson, I do like the fact that they have uh, Kenyon Drake, who I think is a, is an underrated back. And Kaylon Balazs is an excellent pass catching back. He showed that at Arizona state. He's a guy that can help Rosen uh, too. I'm, I'm passing down. So <clears throat> I, I, I think it's interesting. The, the problem I see with this situation is Ryan Tannenhill is the the quarterback that if Josh Rosen is struggling or if he gets hurt after four or five weeks and he misses a game. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Tannen, not Ryan oh, Tannenhill. I'm sorry. No. Ryan Tannenhill's a starter in Tennessee. It's fine. All right. Yes, you're right. I, I you got Tannenhill on the mind. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but no, Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Thank you, Stompy. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 
Um, he's that he's the perfect quarterback to come in and have a absolute lights out game where he throws for 350 yards and four touchdowns out of nowhere. And then the coaching staff thinks, well, we can't bench him now. And then they're going to start him for three or four games until he starts throwing multiple interceptions and having those games that we know he's capable of having just like he did in Tampa Bay last year. And that's when Rosen then gets a job back. But I wonder if the damage is almost done at that point. You know, Rosen's already kind of been dis kind of, kind of just been, you know, disregarded by the team that drafted him. They just kind of threw him to the curbside, let him go to Miami for, you know, substantially less than what they paid him for paid for him rather. And now he's going to go to Miami. And if that, that were to happen in that situation, man, I could really see it, it, you know, hurting or even ruining, um, you know, his, his mental, his, his mental aspect of the game. So um, it, I hope everything goes right. And I hope Josh Rosen wins this job and I hope that he looks good enough and, and, you know, Fitzpatrick doesn't get an opportunity to come in, but man, if it, if, if he does, and that, that were to happen, man, I think that could really, uh, really hurt this young quarterback two years in a row. Um, you know, kind of getting, getting treated the way he has been. So, um, I think it's really important that Rosen plays well and starts this season and, and plays through this season. So I think this is the perfect situation for Rosen to sit behind Fitzpatrick just because he doesn't have that confidence. Uh, he has a veteran ahead of him who, I, I mean, he he's a Harvard Harvard grad. I don't know if that counts as a uh, super smart uh, football quarterback, but regardless, you're sitting behind a smart quarterback. Um, but I don't think that's the situation that we're seeing here because like John mentioned, they're probably not going to be good this year. So they need to see what they have in Josh Rosen or, or yeah, in, in Josh Rosen, Rosen. If, um, if they are like have a top five pick or something like that um, and they want to go for Tua or, or they, they need to know if they, if they should spend the draft capital to go for Tua or not. And so Ultimately, it it comes down to that, and I think that Rosen will be the starter because they need to see what they have. Unfortunately for Rosen, because I like I said, I do think he could use a year sitting behind somebody like Ryan Fitzpatrick and learning the game um, from Chad O'Shea and Ryan Fitzpatrick before becoming a starter again. All right, straw poll time. So, who wins his starting job? I, I think it has to be Rosen just because of the situation. Rosen. Yep, make it Rosen. Yeah, that one just it just makes too much sense. I, I I don't see any reason to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick, even if he, for whatever reason, outperforms Josh Rosen in training camp, which I I'm not convinced that he will. But uh, we're definitely definitely out of time here, so we're gonna wrap it up for the week, and uh, just an abrupt ending to this one, um, unfortunately, but. I uh, just want to respect your time and thank you for thank you for hanging out and uh, and listening. But as we wrap it up for the week, You're we're welcome, gonna ask you, <laughs> not you. I'm I'm definitely not talking to you. We're you and I are oh. still you and you and I still have some, but we need to go to podcast couples council. Oh, yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? You're gonna go host another podcast, John? Is that what you're gonna do? I might just. Uh, I might you know just. We'll take this it's, off air. We'll take this off air. Finish up. Wrap it up. 
It's been a while since we brought up the whole America's podcast thing, but yeah, maybe that needs to to make a comeback here just to oh. just to humble you a little bit. Don't threaten uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to wrap it up there for the week and as we do ask you for a quick favor if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF family of podcasts, Mega Feed, and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed, if you'd give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you that option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews help us to expand our reach, get out to a larger audience, and involve more people in the conversation so that we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. And in the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at SuperFlexShow. You can also send them to any one of us individually. Stompy's at FF Stompy. James is at underscore James the Brain. And I'm at Superflex Dude. We can retweet them for you, help you get more votes and comments. And sometimes we even bring them here on the podcast and analyze them. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song Me Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy.